rig to somebody, either me or somebody on that. Uh, there's a lot of these bulbs that we have to replace in here, fixing chairs that screws have come loose from. This, uh, a lot of things are very, very easy to do, just need the help to do it. And uh, we'll provide some donuts in the morning. And, uh, of course, we have coffee here all the time. We drink lots of filtered water here, filtered through coffee grounds. But, uh, but we will have those things. Um, also, that training. Uh, there are things that are important enough that I'm going to ask that if you are helping in any capacity um, now, whether it's a teen that's volunteering or anything, if you can't make it Sunday, we'll need you to wait to help with kids until you've m had that meeting with us one way or another. Okay, so it, it is a mandatory, I guess I should say, meeting at some time, some point. So it's easier if you make it Sunday and get it all done at once than uh, Sunday and then several following meetings. But really need you to be there uh, for that if you're going to help too in any way or, or think you might in the future and you just want to know what's required. So uh, we will def that's definitely important. Keep uh, Travis Whitehill in your prayers. He'll be traveling tomorrow morning. We had one of the bond slaves uh, from the Bond Slave Motorcycle Club who was killed uh, on his motorcycle. His wife was taken to a life flight of the hospital. She is uh, recovering, um, but uh, they are having his uh, funeral service Friday morning. Uh, so keep, uh, he went by the name of Hammer, uh, but his uh, actual name is Matt. So just keep Matt's family in prayer, his wife. Um, and then those that will be traveling will be guys from all over, all the, chap all the chapters going. And um, <clears throat> Also, uh, keep me in prayer tomorrow. Uh, it be my weekly time to go to the jail. And as I told in one of the services about the powerful meeting I had last week, um, I am dealing with one situation there that I believe is a, uh, has a very strong demonic influence and, and uh, need your prayer because it's a tough environment anyway to do ministry, let alone uh, something like that. So be praying for me. Um, any other prayer requests before we go to the Lord in prayer over the message and, and those prayer requests? Okay. Mickey has a cousin going through... Shelly is going through some hard times. Okay. Yes, Zach. Your wrist hurts. All right. I have some of you boys, some of you kids. Well, when we get ready to pray, will you gather around Zach and lay hands on his wrist? Pray for his wrist. Any others? All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this time, Lord, to go into your word, to, to, to learn more about you and your character and nature. Lord, we also pray for these needs, Lord, for... Uh, the bond slaves as they travel, Lord, also for Matt and his, his our Matt's family, his wife as she recovers, and uh, financially, physically, spiritually, emotionally, Lord, that you would just minister her, uh, Lord, for uh, Mickey's cousin uh, Shelley, Lord, they're going through a tough time. Remember in prayer, Lord, we pray right now for in healing in Jesus' name for Zach's wrist, and Lord, I pray for that visit tomorrow to the jail, God, that you will be there with me, that you'll go ahead of me and prepare hearts. Prepare the situation, Lord, before I even get there, I ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, uh, teachers, kids, if you want to sit still for a minute, and uh, teachers, volunteers, if you want to head back, we'll give them a head start. Okay, so once Jen gets back there, uh, and Judy, 5 to 12 will be in the very back room. Uh, Sister Pat's not able to be here tonight. And so 5 to 12 will be in the very back. So, all right. Kids, you can slowly go back. Walk, walk.
I apologize about the if it's warm in here to you. Uh, I, I think I heard the air conditioner not kick on until about midway through worship service. So hopefully it'll be cooling down. Plus, we're going to pull some heat out of the room here in a minute with the kids. Um, any of you that knows how this works with the hold feature on there, or welcome that back when I don't think has been moved down. But uh, you can crank it down if you need to. Jim, do you mind checking that back one and just see if it's a... Uh, I think I've got this one up on 68 or something like that on hold. You know, and it also, if you want to relocate now that there's more spaces, if you want to be up close or you in another spot or, you know, uh, the person next to you forgot to deodorant, it, you just need to move to get a little bit of fresh air or whatever, whatever you need. All right. <clears throat> So I heard the Reverend Billy Graham, when he was first starting out in ministry, went to this small town and, and needing to mail a letter before he preached his sermon, he saw this young boy out on the road and asked him where the post office was. And so uh, the young boy pointed him in the direction of where the post office was, and then Billy Graham, being who he was, said, hey, if you'd, if you'd like to come to the local Baptist church tonight, I'm going to tell everybody how to get to heaven. And the little boy said, uh, no, thank you, sir. You don't even know how to get to the post office. There's a minister that told his congregation, next week I plan to preach uh, about the sin of lying. And to help you understand my sermon, I want you all to read Mark chapter 17. The following Sunday, as he prepared to deliver his sermon, the, the minister asked for a show of hands, and he wanted to know how many had read Mark chapter 17. And every hand went up. The minister smiled and said, Mark has only 16 chapters. I will now proceed with my sermon on the sin of lying. Now, the Sunday school teacher asked the, asked the children just before she dismissed them to go to church and, and um, before she enter, uh, dismissed them going to the main sanctuary, she said, and why is it necessary to be quiet in the church? And at first, no hands went up. Finally, this little girl named Manny raised her hand. She says, because people are sleeping. <laughs> Man, you guys need to laugh more. I don't know. I, <laughs> I need to find another source for jokes. I don't know what it is, but... Well, I'm beginning a, a sermon series on Wednesday night, starting tonight, uh, on a book of the Bible that, you know, I have to be honest with you, I just kind of avoid a little bit because uh, the depth of it uh, if you, is, is sometimes difficult. But the book of Revelation, it's, um, it can be a difficult one to preach on because there are so many things that take, uh, can take you into very deep dives. But I've run across some materials um, from a, a Reverend Dennis Lee, he's a minister of a four-square church, but he had such a kind of a, a simpler view, a high, more of a high-level view of Revelation and just took chunks of it and went through. And I, I really liked some of the material he used. And so um, this first uh, part of this series tonight on the book of Revelation, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 1 and the first eight verses. The book of Revelation is primarily a, a book of prophecy, and it foretells things that are, are going to come in the end times. We see vivid word pictures of what will be, what will be like during the seven-year time frame of the tribulation. Some of the book of Revelation, and I'm not mocking it, but it, it reminds me of those nights when I ate too much pizza and went to bed and had the crazy dream of the big dragon chasing me down the narrow street, right? I mean, that, I think that's why some people are fearful to get in the book of Revelation. It just... You know, you're, you're listening to the teachings of Jesus, you know, and the starting of the New Testament church and everything's going pretty peachy, you know, and, and uh, Paul, you know, he's going through the persecution, but the New Testament church, and then you get the book of Revelation, it's, 
And it seems like a lot of gloom, doom, and despair. But there's vivid word pictures of what will be what it'll be like during the seven-year time frame of the tribulation, with God's wrath being poured out on the planet Earth along with the ultimate defeat of Satan and the Antichrist. You know, I imagine if you lived during the time of World War II or or World War One or any of those where it seemed like the world was coming apart, there's many people, you know, that said, This has got to be Jesus is coming back because of the atrocities, the things that happened. It must be that time and now we look at the things that are happening with isis and all the stuff around the world and and yes we we always need to be ready and think think this could be the moment when christ is coming back we also see in this book heaven in the final state of humanity and literally what we see is that the book of revelation ends with what began in the book of genesis follow with me here in a little bit as i just you know not in this passage yet but just follow me here uh, in this little uh, comparison to Genesis and Revelation. In Genesis, the earth was created. In Revelation, it, it will pass away. So we literally have a beginning and an ending. In Genesis, the sun was to govern the day of the moon by night. In Revelation, there is no need for either sun or moon. In Genesis, we have the entrance of sin. In Revelation, we have the end of sin. In Genesis, the curse was pronounced. In Revelation, the curse is removed. In Genesis, death entered. In Revelation, there is no more death. In Genesis, we see Satan's first rebellion. In Revelation, we see Satan's last rebellion. In Genesis, Satan's doom was pronounced. And in Revelation, Satan's doom is executed. When it comes to the book of Revelation, oftentimes we read and study, study it with the wrong motives. We, we read it to study prophecy, and, and that is we want to read all about the sensational, about the doom and gloom. I recently mentioned in one of my messages um, that, that, you know, the psychic networks, you know, in the 80s and 90s, you saw those all over. They're still, it's still a growing, you know, it's still a growing thing, psychics and, and this kind of thing. And then the supernatural, I mean, now they're going back through all the superhero movies and remaking, you know, ten times over, Superman, Batman, all this stuff. And we really want to entertain ourselves. We want to be entertained by the supernatural, things that are kind of beyond what seems real. And so we're tempted in the book of Revelation, too, with, with some of these accounts to, to really read it uh, in the sense of trying to look for the sensational and really focus on doom and gloom, the death and destruction that's foretold in the book. And then we like to match current events uh, to what we read. So we're trying, to, we're trying to point to, hey, look, this is happening, and that matches up, so we must be near the end here. You know, uh, it, it can be a sick world on this topic because people get so fascinated with doom and gloom and death. There's websites that depict real death and things like that that, that, are, that are continually being taken down because they just go so far to the point that, that they have to be removed because it, uh, man's mind when it's set on death and destruction just keeps going and don't get me wrong we'll see uh, some of these very things in revelation and we'll look at what they mean in our current political and social economic climate but we'll see that our world today is on a downward spiral toward natural and economic disaster but through it all what the main point of this what we'll see is is that god is ultimately in control and so the main focus of the book is upon the lordship of Jesus Christ. We see uh, this in the first 
five words, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not John's revelation, rather, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John by God. So, you know, when I was in Bible college, I had one course where you took, you had to find a, a passage of Scripture somewhere in the Bible, and then the whole semester was based on your, your one grade was creating a paper that took and, and threaded that verse, connected all the way to the beginning and the end of the Bible, and show how it connected all the way through. And my professor said, if you really want to know, the main thing of the Bible is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Everything in there relates to the kingdom of heaven. That is the main theme of the, of the book. So when we get to Revelation, that's no different. This is focused on the lordship of Jesus Christ, about the end of sin, about the coming of the kingdom of heaven, about, about man finally, those who have uh, been saved and, and name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, finally reach their promised land. Further, it's not the book of revelations, rather it's the book of revelation. That is one revelation given by God about Jesus Christ and the end times. Seeing that it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, this means that it's not only what is revealed by Christ, like his letters to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, but it's also God's revelation about Jesus Christ, which is what we'll see in, the next, in next week's message. And so the main focus of this book isn't the Apostle John, nor is it uh, the beast, which is fun to focus on for some, uh, nor is it the Antichrist, which a lot of people focus, or the false prophet, nor is the focus about all the stuff that's going to happen during the time of the tribulation and the millennium. Rather, the main focus of the book is Jesus Christ. You know, um, I've mentioned before that some entertainment I get is I like to look through YouTube and just kind of sporadically look at, you know, from anything from worship videos to others, and I, I kind of like the prank videos as long as they're clean and they're wholesome, but there's a lot of prank videos. And, you know, there's these people that are, these, especially younger ones, that are so much into Twilight and vampires and all this other stuff that they're real susceptible to uh, being tricked into thinking something's real. So they'll have somebody dressed up, you know, hiding and will jump out or while they're asleep and come up on them and scare them. And, just so you know, I don't find any of it funny. I mean, for me. Um, one of my boys jumped out in the dark in the hallway at night. And even my wife knows, says, son, daddy will lay you out flat. Because I have a reaction to things jumping out of me at night. And I don't have time to process whether it's one of my offspring or not. I'm just liable to swing. And he just about got it. Caleb's eyes were big because I had my, I mean... You know, you think they're asleep. That's what they're supposed to be doing. They jump out in the hallway, then that's a bad guy, and he's going down, you know. So um, I don't find it funny. In fact, uh, during close to Halloween, every year at Walmart when I worked at the corporate office, somebody would think it's funny to send you one of those things where it's like, chase the dots on the screen, or the cute little puppy really look close because they're going to they're gonna talk or something. And then all of a sudden, this demonic face would jump out and scream, and people laugh. And I thought Talon said... You want to create an enemy, do that to me one more time. <laughs> I said, I, I just, um, you know, uh, I've talked about this slightly before, and, and on a less funny note, uh, I think my parents will remember one time I called my mom in the room, just panicked, and I believed I'd seen a little creature standing in the room. And, you know, as a pastor's son, when your dad is battling spiritual warfare all the time, uh, it's no surprise that you may have um, some spiritual attacks even as a kid. And uh, some images that I believe I saw as a kid, it just doesn't make it funny to me. I don't get entertained by scary movies or anything. But there's a lot of people that are. And so we get in the book of Revelation, even Christians, they're, they're closet. Um, they're, they're like the same kind of people, but in the closet they're like, oh, good, scary 
like ghosts and goblins and dragons, all that. But that's not the focus here. This, this can be a powerful study, and we need to be looking not so much for the sensational, but rather the sovereign Lord. There's going to be people who are fascinated by all those things that literally, okay, whether you truly are, are, are wholeheartedly believing in the return of Christ, can you imagine stepping out one day and seeing Christ come back in the clouds? There's going to be no mistaking. The word says there'll be no mistaking who he is, right? But they see it. And it's too late, but for that split second, they realize all the things that they mocked, all the things that they said about believing that it was fairy tales, and all the people they'd heard in the media about how Christians are just archaic, and this is all nonsense, and that, you know, um, the big popular thing is they're calling him the big spaghetti monster in the sky. That's how they refer to God, uh, atheists now. And, and, you know, so all this mocking and those, and those type of things. If you don't watch a lot of the atheist versus Christian debates, uh, you know, then you won't. You wouldn't have known that. But there's some real mockery going on. And there's some that's going to be biting through their tongue, probably literally, with terror. Because all those things that they fantasized and thought were just make-believe and they, they put off are now going to be right there in front of their face. They're going to realize, oh no, it was all true. And we shouldn't be looking exclusively at current events, but rather for our coming King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. If you know anything about the theme, the main thing of what I've been preaching for now several years is, is we don't need to worry, uh, we don't need to, and I was talking about worry and fear when in regards to politics, re- regards to terror, regards to um, famine, to, to anything. If you're a true believer and you know you're just passing through, then those things should not be causing you fear and turmoil and strife and be your main focus. There's something more to this book of Revelation. And that is while a blessing is received when we we look at this, there is a blessing received when we read or hear the words of this prophecy. These words must be followed and obeyed and it's not enough to read what Revelation says. We have to keep what it says. In Revelation 1.3 it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. For the time is near. Now, prophetic doctrine is only as good as when the, con- the when it, we connect it with our everyday lives and our responsibility as Christians. In other words, you know, if something's prophesied over you, but yet you don't follow God's ways, you're not heading in that direction anyway. So it does you no good. Same thing with this book. The prophecies in it. If we're not following God's ways, if we're not believers chasing after his will, going after his will in our lives, uh, being a true Christ follower, then, then they won't do you any good because you're not heading in the direction that they're trying to lead you. In other words, it's not how excited we get when we read and hear these things. Rather, it's how we walk them out once we hear them. This is also the only book in the Bible that contains this promise of blessing. Yet it's probably the least read out of all the books of the Bible. I'm going to read to you Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. 
Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what's written in it, for the time is near. Verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who, who is and who was and is, is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, made us a kingdom priest to his, his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and, even, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. And then finally, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. The word revelation is the Greek word uh, apocalypsis, which is a meaning an uncovering or an unveiling. And I might add another syllable in there, but you know how I am with the Greek and the Hebrew words. So, um, but it, it's an unveiling not only of what is to come, things which must surely take place, but also of Jesus Christ, not only as he presently is in heaven, but of his coming again that's found at the end of the book. Also take notice that it says it's about what is shortly to take place. Now, keep in mind, um, I had this thought as a kid and, and as a teenager. Uh, what was that book, 88 Reasons Jesus is Coming Back in 1988? Um, wasn't there some more? 99 reasons to come back at 99? I don't know. And of course, the Christians were real bad about, you know, Y2K. We weren't partying like it's 1999. We were worried that Jesus, you know, or we were, Jesus is coming back before 2000. And that's when he's coming back because computers will all crash. And that's, that's the sign Jesus come back, you know, or whatever. Or now, you know, the end of 2012, the end of the world. Now the Mayan calendar is predicting Jesus come back. You know, there's, there's just all kinds of things but this word shortly means uh, that which happens quickly or suddenly. The, uh, the idea isn't that the event will occur soon in our time set or soon to us as in, oh, next week or, oh, no, what next week, next month, or no, not this decade, next decade. In other words, when it happens, it will happen quickly. The idea isn't that the event will occur soon, which which far too many people have believed, even as far back as the early church, but rather that when it does come to pass, it will happen quickly or suddenly. This is how the Apostle Paul described the coming rapture of the church. It's found in his first letter to the Thessalonian church. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. I want to stop here and just kind of hit this again about the dangers of Christians taking this and, and telling people that the Lord is coming back soon. And some people are going to be like, Pastor CJ, what? You're, this is blasphemy. I mean, the Pentecostal church especially, that's our gig, is we got to tell people it's coming back, he's coming back soon so that they'll do what they're supposed to do. Scare tactic. Let me tell you something. I've been to funeral after funeral after funeral. And I won't even make this one, this, 
Friday for somebody I care about a lot. But I'll tell you this. We don't need to be concerned about when, but whether we're ready or not. Because it doesn't matter whether raptures happen tomorrow. Your last day on this planet, your last breath to make that decision could be tonight. It could be in the morning. That's no scare tactic. That's a fact of life. It's once appointed for man to die. We don't know when that is. There's things that break our hearts. There's children that, that pass early. There's, there, there's people at all ages pass. We don't know the day or hour. There's no need to threaten people with Jesus come back soon because they need to learn that he loves them. And that the goal is not to just get in there the last minute before the subway doors close on you or, or the elevator doors close on you, but the fact that you, you have a chance to start living now what he intended for you all along so that you kind of got a head start on heaven and that you're ready at any moment. The word rapture is the Latin translation for Paul's Greek word for being caught up or uh, harpazo, which is described later in 1 Thessalonians 15, 52, when it says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Therefore, this, this event known as the rapture will happen suddenly. In other words, one millisecond you're here, then in the next minute you're in heaven with Jesus. And the same goes for this time of the end described by John. One moment, everything is going along as it always has and then suddenly the time of the tribulation is upon you this is a revelation of jesus christ uh, that that was given to john through an angel and we don't know exactly who the angel is and while some may speculate it was gabriel or michael um, they've been mentioned there's nothing in the text to indicate it we just know that it was delivered to him by an angel so um, what has brought about the most debate is who wrote the book of revelation so some debate that. Some thought that it's John the Presbyter or John the Elder. But it comes from those, those speculations come from more modern scholars, whereas uh, those closer to the time of John say it was John uh, the Apostle John. And these were early church fathers, including uh, Clement of Alexandria, Origen, uh, Tertullian, um, other, and a few others, but... There's further proof, further proof in the text itself where he uses similar descriptions of Jesus. He uses descriptions of Jesus as the Word in Revelation 19.13 and in John 1.1. 1, 1. The Lamb in Revelation 5.6-8 and John 1.29. And the Witness, Revelation 1.5 and John 5.31-32. Um, I am moving quickly through some of these, and I know I talk fast anyway, if you're wanting to do some study on your own, I can send you a transcript of the message uh, that will have all the scripture references uh, in a different color so you'll know where they're at quickly. But it's, it's summed up that the book of Revelation was written around year 96 AD. So with that in mind, when the Apostle John, it would have been when the Apostle John was in his 80s or about 65 years after Jesus called him to leave his fishing boat and become a fisher of men. He's writing the book while in exile. So this is kind of an interesting setting for the book of Revelation to be, to be written. Listen to this. He, he's on a small barren island called Patmos, located in the Aegean Sea and off the coast of Italy. It's southeast of, uh, from uh, Ephesus, which is where John pastored. So he's not far off from where he pastored, but uh, he's on this barren island. And the interesting thing that I get a picture of uh, Patmos is 
uh, the way it's described and what it's used for is it's kind of like Alcatraz. How many ever watched Escape from Alcatraz? I mean, you know, the idea is this is an island. So if we want to put people somewhere where we don't worry about them escaping, put them on an island. And so that's kind of what we're seeing here. It was the Alcatraz of that day. It's a place where the roughest criminals would be sent. And in this day and time, a preacher of the gospel was considered dangerous and one of the worst criminals. The Roman emperor, uh, one of the Roman emperors banished John there for preaching the gospel. Get this, first he had John boiled in oil. We talked about that recently. And then left him on Patmos to die. And it was there in a cave that John was given the vision while spending time in prayer. John is therefore bearing witness or giving testimony of everything he heard and saw. There in captivity, on an island designed for the worst of criminals that you can't escape, in this lonely cave, after being boiled in oil and surviving, he gets the download from God of the book of Revelation. John begins by giving the greeting of grace and peace. And this is kind of interesting when you think of grace being the Greek method of greeting. It's always grace to you. And peace is the Hebrew form, and the form of, of these two words, the richest of our faith, is revealed. It, it was grace and peace. And grace is God's unmerited favor given to the man for the forgiveness that he provides through Jesus' sacrifice. So John's greeting us with that message. Grace. In other words, I've seen what Christ has done for me, and if I could greet you any way I could, I'd say grace and peace to you, even after what he had been through and where he was at. As the Apostle Paul exclaimed that it's by grace through faith we're saved, and such grace doesn't come from any other human effort. Rather, it's totally a gift given by God, and we see that in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. And, and it's from this grace that we can now have peace with God. It's a peace that only comes through Jesus Christ. If you had been uh, put in prison for your faith, you've been boiled in oil, you've been placed on an island with all the worst, roughest of criminals, then you would need some grace and peace as well. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, Neither let it be afraid in John 14, 27. And so grace is our standing in Christ Jesus and peace is what we experience because of that grace. When we are introduced to the Godhead, um, we're introduced to it now in, in this passage, uh, what we know today as the Trinity. We see in Revelation 4, um, it says, Him who is and was and who is to come. The importance here is to it, it, it's wrapping up this book is beginning to wrap up um, the final story of this earth filled with sin and we're pointed here to the Godhead God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in verse 8 we read I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end says the Lord who is and was and who is to come the Almighty and this has brought confusion to some in the church because it's also a description of Jesus. And so you'll have different doctrines, oneness, where they say, well, um, there's not really God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're different references to the same 
same person. And listen, I've heard all the analogies about the Trinity, and uh, uh, I'm not in favor of most of them because they'll take, you know, uh, water can be a gas, a liquid, a vapor, and, and you can go on and on with all these different things. All I know is that, that God references that he, his son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit never had a beginning nor have an end. And they are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. They are the Godhead, three in one. Yet Jesus spoke to the Father, Father, let this cut pass from me if possible. He, he begged for the, the, what he was going to face on the cross. So we know there's three distinct personalities in the Godhead. In Isaiah chapter 48, the Lord is speaking and says, Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens when I call to them. They stand up together, Isaiah 48, 12, and 13. Listen, folks, when we get so frustrated about the way the world's going and, and we're going to take down the Ten Commandments here and we're going to do this and we're going to do that, and I believe in praying through those things. I believe in standing up for our faith. Um, I believe if they come to cut my head off for the gospel, I have legs to run. I'm allowed to run. And if they should catch me, then I'm going to just be ready to graduate early on to heaven. But, but we have to understand, God gets the last say. He got the first say, and he gets the last say. We don't need to worry about having the last say. Because there is a time coming, and I don't know when it is, but I want to be ready at all times. If, I should, if it should come before I draw my last breath naturally or by disaster or whatever, I want to be ready, and I don't want to have to account for that I was trying to put myself in God's place and try to be the last. I'm going to have the last say on here. Before God takes me, I'm going to set all these people straight. Clearly, the Lord is speaking, but it's what he goes on to say that brings out God's clarity in the Trinity view. It says, come near to me. Hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was. I was there. And now the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. Isaiah 48, 16. Well, you see further, the Apostle John in his gospel said Jesus not only is the word and that he was with God and was God, who has made flesh and dwelt among us in John 1, 1, 1 and 2. But John also said that Jesus was also the creator. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. But to lie any misgivings that this description applies only to Jesus, let's uh, look what Jesus himself said. Philip asked Jesus to show them the Father, and Jesus said, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me philip he who has seen me has seen the father john 14 9 there is much controversy about one name in our cultural time now it's jesus uh, my wife and kids we just went finally to see god's not dead too the other night powerful movie it's a great movie and it, it was very true that right now the big battle is over the name jesus because there are people who don't belong to any religion who will say oh well as long as the the, uh, any religion doesn't push off on us whether it's Allah or God or whatever it's all the same and people are trying to make out to be that, that, that this pluralistic thing that God is really the same just by different names but when you mention the name Jesus there is much controversy in there it seems that you know, Allah or Buddha or whatever but you mention the name Jesus and that's the trigger and why is that? why is that? 
Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? Who has seen me and has, he who has seen me has seen the Father. That's because they have watered down the name God to mean so many different things. But the name Jesus, who is the same, uh, he is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. When you say the name Jesus, you are drawing their attention to the only living, breathing, true God. Next we see some reference to the Holy Spirit, Revelations 4, and it says, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And this has perplexed many, but it's clearly a reference to the Holy Spirit. Uh, first, the number seven is, um, <coughs> excuse me, in biblical numerology, it's the number of God, it's the number of divinity, and there's also the sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the coming Messiah as described by the prophet Isaiah. If we were to look at Isaiah 11, 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. It was the Holy Spirit that descended upon Jesus after his baptism. John the Baptist bore witness to this, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and remained upon him in John 1.32. And then it says the Holy Spirit led Jesus. And then finally we see this greeting coming from Jesus Christ. And it says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth in Revelation 5a. And here's where we kind of get into something in, in this passage where there's three aspects revealed who Jesus is. This is where we, you know, we're seeing Jesus teaching through the Gospels and through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And, and we see um, his character and nature displayed um, as a, a fully man and, and fully God. But here we begin to see um, some different descriptions, these three aspects to it. The faithful witness. Jesus said to Philip that if they had seen him, they, they had seen the Father. In his earthly life, Jesus was a faithful witness. And we know that because John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And also when Pilate asked, are you a king? Jesus responded, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. John 18, 37. And then we see something where he's described as preeminent, where um, uh, this is seen when it says he was the firstborn from the dead. Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. In, in other places, Jesus is called the firstfruits of those raised from the dead. And it's followed by all those who believe and his coming in 1 Corinthians 15, 23. But Jesus was indeed the, indeed the firstborn, indeed the first one who was resurrected with incorruptible body. Here's the thing. Of all the others that were resurrected from the dead, not one other was resurrected with incorruptible body. No one else died and rose again and ascended. We see where ones were taken on to heaven before without death. We see ones that were raised from the dead and then went on to live on earth in a natural body longer, Lazarus. We see um, other examples, but no one other than Jesus 
was raised from the dead with a perfected body and then rose uh, to heaven. So this is where we experience all the rapture and then those remaining and believe at the second coming. This doesn't mean, however, that Jesus was the first one born as the Mormon faith believes, but rather that he is preeminent. This is what the word firstborn means in Greek. The word is protokos, which means that which is given uh, preference over, that which is first in order. And then we see a third aspect where ruler, and this is what we focus on a lot today because in believing that we are at the last days, that we are in the end times, then um, a lot of focus you'll see even in, in a lot of churches, we've seen him as a sacrificial lamb. But now as we get closer and we see the, the signs that the time really is near, uh, you hear more proclaiming, King of kings, Lord of lords. And it goes on to say that he is ruler over the kings of the earth. He is ruler over the kings of the earth. Is that just talking about Old Testament times? Is that just talking about only those that have the title king? The kings of the earth. The psalmist talks about how the kings of this world set themselves against the Lord and his son who is called the anointed, the Messiah. And then the Lord tells them to bow down to the Messiah so they, they, they don't perish. And then we see the ending of this when Jesus returns upon him, uh, returns and upon him are these words, King of kings and Lord of lords in Revelation 19, 16. So the question is, is it, is it only from the Old Testament? He's talking about he is King of kings, Lord of lords. You know, right now, we're getting ready for an election. And there's, there's just all kinds of debate and just foolishness going on. But we get so tied up, and, and we have to keep reminding ourselves that he is the king of all rulers. He is the Lord of all lords. That our focus needs to be on him. This book of Revelation is pointing us to the king of kings and lord of lords, to his kingship. And as believers, we've got to live with that kind of mentality. And so when we get too tied up in the rulers of this world and whether, yeah, I get it. I sure hope certain things go away soon that were put into motion under our current leadership. I sure hope and pray for uh, more godly things to take place than have. But in the end, my hope is not built on this nation. And my hope is not built on this world, but on the kingdom of heaven. And after this description of Jesus being the faithful witness, preeminent one, and ruler over the king of this earth, we are introduced to Jesus' mission. And from there we see several things. It says in Revelation 1, 1, verse 5, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So he forgives us. Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life for us and that, that he shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. And the Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And the Apostle John said, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so the first thing Jesus does when we come to believe in him is that he forgives us of our sins when we confess. And then we see his mission, then he gives us our mission and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. 
Revelation 1.6. So Jesus gave us as the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations and to teach them everything that he, com- he commanded, Matthew 28.19-20. And then the Apostle Peter tells us that this is done through our new identity. And here's where a lot of Christians are, are failing to see that, that they are no longer what they were before they accepted Christ. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into, the, into his wonderful light. I read a story recently of a Russian commando, a Russian special forces guy who got in the heat of battle and got surrounded by an innumerable amount of ISIS fighters. And he called in an airstrike on himself at his exact location, knowing that that, that would wipe them out, but also take him out. And it just, it, it made me really stop and think about that moment. You know, we, we read these stories and we're proud of our soldiers and we're proud of, you know, when, when the good guys are winning. But, but do you ever stop and really put yourself in that person's spot? Maybe you don't think you have the courage. Maybe, you know, it's hard for you to really grasp that. Maybe, you know, uh, a spider biting you is scary enough. You don't need to think about an airstrike coming out in your head. But, but for a moment, think about the courage that it takes to be that guy knowing that I'm going to sacrifice my life now because I can take out much more of the enemy that way than any other way. You know, the book of Revelation, what it's trying to point us to is that we win in the end as believers. Jesus wins and we're on the winning team. We get so upset about the way the world's going. We get so upset, and I understand. There's one thing to have compassion for those who are lost, to, to be angered at evil, and, and those who are carrying out evil, I, I get that. The Bible says be angry and sin not. But what I'm saying is it shouldn't consume us because the fact of the matter is, as I said before, God gets the last say. And you know, that guy sitting out there, I have no idea what was going through his head. But you have to imagine he was thinking, these guys think they got me. They really think they got me. They have no idea how far I'll go to win. They never think that he would, he, would, he would do such a thing to end his life willingly, make the choice himself to take out that. And, and I don't know how many he took out, but it was a, a massive number of, of ISIS fighters. You know, sometimes we see, if you, you know, this book, like I said, has a lot of picture, word pictures in it. But can you imagine Jesus standing before his crucifixion, being accused? And we know there's times when he was silent, and there's times when he answered. When he was before Pilate, but he knew, standing there, that it was going to appear that he lost. When they began to beat him and torture him, that he knew that his believers, he knew what they'd have in their hearts. They believed that they lost and that he lost. What was all this for? This wasn't how it was supposed to end. Jesus was supposed to set up his kingdom there. The Messiah was supposed to conquer the Roman Empire and set up, and they're supposed to be rulers over them. And they watched him brutally beat and and taken out this is their hero this is the one that they thought was it jesus knew this and that must have been even a greater weight on his shoulders but the hope knowing that that satan thought he won but he's playing right into his hand he did ask that that would pass from him but the father said no he went on and because of that offered redemption to every man who ever 
would be, who was and would ever be. So my point is this. I'll go back to something I've pointed out many times. After Jesus was buried, he rose again, he appeared over those 40 days, and, and many still doubted. And they hid out for their lives, and then he sent them to the upper room waiting for the comfort, and the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke with other tongues. People thought they're drunk, they're crazy. And then they went out and spread the gospel even unto their deaths. And we see one here that John, exiled to island, boiled in oil. I don't think you just fully recover from that. Now, miraculously, I don't know what, what, what happened miraculously with him, but, but mentally he was a man. And that's got to be tough. But sometimes we, as Christians, uh, we verge on the, on the edge of living as if this is all we've got here. That we're losing. My, my body aches so bad, I can't even bear it. My, uh, you know, my bills, my, my, my life, my, my family, all these things. But, but if you're a true believer in Christ, you know that one day, just like Christ, we will rise again will go to be with him for all eternity. No more sin, no more sorrow. In conclusion, John ends this section by saying Jesus is not only the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and the one who forgives us and gives us purpose, but that he is coming back. We can't forget that. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he is coming with cloud, with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and when they who pierced him and, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Why are they mourning? Why mourn at such a joyous occasion? Because Mainly because those who witness his coming will realize in that moment, those who have not believed that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the one whom their sins could have been forgiven, and the one who then could have been ushering them into heaven, and they missed it. This is actually brought out by the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 12.10 when it says, And I will pour on the house of David and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. Again, they'll mourn because they realize that the Messiah they've been they've been praying for has already come and that and that no no one else can take their sins but him in these days and times there's people who are hopeless and 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 living out we see we see the ones even who are persecuting us but the bible tells us to love even our enemies i was having a uh devotion in a, one morning this week with my family and and uh we were talking about how you know, just hate what Satan does. You know, just hate hate the devil. And uh, when I prayed, I called him the enemy. And Lily said, you know, Dad, we're supposed to love our enemies. And Jen said, well, honey, we're not supposed to love the devil. <laughs> we call him the enemy too. But we need to understand that, that in the end, God has the last word. And the book of Revelation points us not to, to go over the sensational not to be looking for the, the, the big monster coming from the sea, but to realize it's pointing us on the kingship, the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that if we are ready, 
at, a, at every moment if we're ready for his return, then we'll go to be with him. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, thank you for this time and your word. And God, as we continue on in the weeks to come in the book of Revelation, I pray, Lord, that you help us to, it, to be illuminated to our spirits, Lord, that we'll be able to, to grasp the, the depth and the, the breadth of this uh, scripture, Lord. I pray that uh, it will cause us to look deep, Lord, into uh, our lives and, and looking forward to your coming. Lord, I pray if there's someone here tonight who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. This might have been a, a night to come, and this is a, a lot of heavy stuff to them from the book of Revelation, but, Lord, they, they did hear that it's pointing them to what you did for them on the cross, that they have the opportunity to accept you as their Lord and Savior and to forgive them of their sin. And, Lord, so that with all the rest who believe that they have their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and they'll spend an eternity with you. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more struggle. As children of God, adopted into the family of Christ. If there's someone here tonight that you, you want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You, you know that, that Satan has had his way in your life and you're tired of what he's doing. You want, you want to be rescued by Jesus Christ. You want his, his love and his peace his grace and his peace to come into your life. If that's you, I just want you to put your hand up. I want to pray for you. Anyone else? All right. With every head bowed and eye closed. If you prayed that, if you raised your hand, I want you to just pray this prayer with me. And it's not that this is the only prayer you can pray. Uh, that it has to be these words that as long as you uh, are uh, meaning with all your heart, I'm just going to help you in this prayer. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to lead and guide me. Well, I want to be with you one day in eternity. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. You'd not prayed that prayer before, and you meant it with all your heart. Then, then the Bible says right now the angels are rejoicing, and your name is being written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And um, if you raise your hand, I'd like to talk to you after the service. But um, all the rest of you, just remember what's coming up uh, this Saturday, the work day, and uh, Sunday after second service, we have the the um, kids workers meeting. All right, love y'all, and have a good night. <laughs>